With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Crown and Anchor Greyhounds. This is Richmond Till We Die, a conversation about the Apple TV Plus show Ted Lasso, where we explore the characters, their relationships to each other, and how they're able to make us laugh until we can hardly breathe one moment and then feel with the deepest parts of our hearts the next. I'm Brett, one of your co-hosts for this episode, and our guest today is Emmy Award-winning writer and comedian Taylor K. Phillips. Taylor currently writes for Last Week Tonight with John Oliver on HBO, and her work has also appeared in publications like The New Yorker and McSweeney's. And though she currently lives and works in New York City, Taylor originally hails from the barbecue capital of the world, Kansas City, and is a true Midwesterner at heart. She loves the Midwest so much, in fact, that she wrote a book called A Guide to Midwestern Conversation, which is a hilarious and heartfelt homage to the Midwest's particular brand of communication. Of course, Taylor's a massive fan of Ted Lasso, too, so we invited her on the show to chat about Ted's Midwestern mannerisms, the unique culture and charm of Kansas City, and what it was like to be in attendance at the 2022 Emmy Awards ceremony as the Ted Lasso cast and crew collected multiple awards. And finally, let this serve as your official spoiler alert as there is some light discussion of Ted Lasso plot points up through the third episode of season three. So, Greyhounds, please join us as we give a warm welcome to Taylor K. Phillips. Thank you so much for being with us, Taylor. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. We're excited you're here, too. Uh, We were brought together on Twitter through our mutual fandom of Ted Lasso. So let's just start there. Why did you decide to start watching Ted Lasso? And when did you decide, okay, I'm invested. I'm definitely going to stick with this. So... I started during during COVID, during the pandemic. I had heard about it. I actually can't remember how. Um, but like, I'm guessing many of us, I was sold on man from Kansas City goes <laughs> to England to do soccer because <laughs> I am an English football fan by marriage. So I did not know about English football and in fact was very performatively anti-soccer as a child in (laughs) probably a very annoying way. Um, Not probably, definitely a very annoying way. (laughs) Um, And, but I'm now in an Arsenal fan. Um, 
through and through. Like (laughs) I I bleed royal blue, Chiefs red, and now also Arsenal red. Um, (laughs) And so that was really it for me. I think the spitting out the sparkling water Mm, in the first episode. You had me at was yeah. That was like yeah exactly. You had me at spit take. You had me at (laughs) this water is spicy. Sparkling water, a thing that now I am addicted to. Same. Um, <laughs> got my soda not, stream. Yep, exactly. Yep, you got the soda stream. We also buy. We also have an Amazon like constant delivery. It's like <laughs> it's a sickness. Um, but it was when I first started dating my husband. It was what he. It was like what was in his fridge, and I was very don't do this, girls. Um, but I was very cool girl. Like, yeah, sure. Sparkling water or whatever. <laughs> but, but now I love it and it's all I drink. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way to stay hydrated. Yeah. It's a good way to say, no. So I was, I was into Ted Lasso from, from the beginning. I think the, the spit take the, the Midwesternisms. Yes, of course. Um, the joke, I spoke to the owner of the sun. You talked to God <laughs> is one of my favorite jokes ever in the history of the world um so and and then at the end of the season when you can end a season i always think this is so wonderful with television but when you can end a season with everyone getting what they want and still there is enough dramatic tension to make an entire other season of television to me that's incredible and that was something that i just like i just fell in love with it Speaking of dramatic tension, one thing that has flummoxed many people in season three is this direct flight from London to Kansas City. Can you shed any light on this uh, (laughs) fictional flight for us? Absolutely. So this fictional flight does not exist. I (laughs) looked it up today just in case something had happened and I hadn't been aware. So there is absolutely no direct flight from London to Kansas City. We did just get a new airport. Within the and last month. I like, love it. Yeah. Within the yeah. last month. It went from being one of the worst international airports in the country to now being okay, to being good. Yeah. It's, yeah. I actually, because I could, with my best friend, took the last flight out of the old airport, slept at Midway, and then took the first flight into the new one. Wow. Dedication. Dedication. Um, love it. Cause like, why? Cause, cause I could, you know, you're never going to be able to do that again. And I landed in the new Kansas city airport, which again, does not have flights from London that land there. Nor is, nor is its designator KCI either. That's so. true. That's, That's its true. street name, not its government. Yeah. Name. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, and something that is very funny and kind of spoilers for season three of Barry, if anybody is like just now getting into Barry, at the end of Barry, there is also a made-up direct flight from LAX to Joplin. <laughs> Missouri. Yes. <laughs> so, which is somehow even more ridiculous than yeah. uh, LA to, to Kansas City. Um, but you know what? Maybe maybe it'll happen. The thing about the, the new Kansas City airport is that no one is going to believe you when you tell them about the old Kansas city airport. <laughs> like I haven't experienced it yet, but I've seen photos and I even can't believe it. No. I mean, it's beautiful, but the yeah. idea when you're like, you're like, Oh, this is a nice airport, but 
the reason that it's so nice is that the airport that was there before was impossible. It's impossible (laughs) that something that looked like that was called an international airport. And I love it. I have so much affection for it. (laughs) But that looks like a 70s architect was like, y'all want to see something? (laughs) <laughs> in that airport's airport. in that airport's defense it was done dirty by history because what what made it look kind of funny was that you could essentially like get dropped off anywhere and then immediately get to your gate which was super cool it just became a nightmare after 9-11 because right with the enhanced security instead of being able to be dropped off at your gate they like had to funnel everybody through various points and then it wasn't laid out in such a way that they could build restaurants back by the gates or anything. And so right. what was pretty cool and cutting edge and super convenient when airport security had to get more stringent just became an absolute like nightmare to have to hang out there and catch flights and whatnot. Right. A hundred percent. And it was also designed, it was designed to me such a like, with such a little guy mentality, which is mm. like only people from Kansas City will be using this airport to leave Kansas City. So how do we make leaving Kansas City the fastest possible process? And now it's like people coming for the World Cup, man. Like we got to give them some merch, some $45 hats. Like here we go. Four different coffee shops within a like X amount foot radius. Oh, yeah. There's a Parisi. There's a messenger. There's a I don't know the other one. It's. It's noise. There are uh, the moving walkways. Oh, yo, fancy. there's people movers. Nice. Okay. People movers. I feel like I'm just going to have to like on my next trip to Kansas City, just go visit the airport terminal just for <laughs> do it. now. It's well, fun. There's a lot of shopping. You can do a lot of shopping. On the, um, on the coffee topic too, is one thing that has not come up in Ted Lasso is that Kansas City is low key, like one of the best coffee cities in the whole country. So that's just like, as you're talking about four, four coffee shops in the airport, like there's actually a good reason for that. Yes. Because Kansas City is known by coffee snobs as being a very good coffee city. I love we're a bunch of we're a bunch of good stuff city. Totally, totally. For the Ted Lasso uninitiated, also coffee is a Kansas City pride point of pride. Yes. Things that have left Kansas City now, thanks to Ted Lasso, uh, now include like Midwesternisms and vernacular that is familiar to people who have spent any time in the Midwest or in Kansas City. So you wrote a book called A Guide to Midwestern Conversation, comes out April 11th, and Jason Sudeikis, fellow Kansas Cityan, what are some of your favorite Midwestern Tedisms that have made it into the show thus far? That's so interesting because I feel like, you know, Ted Lasso speaks in these kind of jokey catchphrases that I would call more Ted Lasso-isms than Midwestern-isms because he is such a specific dude. (laughs) In the best way. He's a genre to himself. He's a genre to himself. The calling uh, Rebecca boss to me Mm. is a very Midwestern thing. I call my like two big bosses boss. um, And I hope they find it endearing and not disrespectful. We'll see. Uh, (laughs) Tune in to see. I I still have a job. (laughs) Let us Um, know after your uh, your, like annual review. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, Taylor, you got to stop this. Um, And... I think the um, the attitude of being it's more of an attitude thing. And I, and I don't know exactly the wording, but the like the attitude of receiving something at a very high voltage, whether it be mm. like anger 
or disappointment or whatever. And the the thing he does, well, now, now hold on a second, right? That now, wait right. a minute, you know, yes. Yes. let's all take a second and, or the stating, the stating what's going on without necessarily ascribing judgment, but while also saying, you know, I'm a part of this. He said, well, we got a whole lot of emotions flying around right now. Right. You know, like I'm going to state what's happening instead of having my own emotional response to it. So instead, like, so if I, if somebody comes at you and is, you know, is yelling at him or whatever. And he says, well, you clearly feel very strongly instead of a like USOB, stop yelling at me. <laughs> it's a, the stating of the situation, I feel like is a very Midwestern way of like diffusing tension and also a very fun dramatic device. Uh, in the book, there's also, you have it divided up into different topics. So there's one about arriving. There's one about departures. There's a food section, of course. There's also being a Midwesterner and a Kansas Cityan. There's a sports section. There are uh, lots of, so you share lots of common Midwestern sports phrases and the, and the translations for them. And I'm wondering, like, as far as, again, going with Ted and what he has said, what are some of his like attitudes towards sports that you find Midwestern or that resonate with the themes of your book or that you hope he will uh, employ by the end of season three? Because he is coming in kind of as an expert, as a coach, but not as an expert in the sport. He turns to Beard for or like Nate in early seasons for how to actually talk about what's going on with the team sport wise. So a lot of his a lot of his kind of sports phrases are reiterating to show that he understands mm-hmm. or like putting stuff into to American football terms. But something I'm surprised that they haven't sort of played with yet, or maybe they haven't, I missed it, is this, this like very Midwestern, particularly because our teams aren't always super good, this like rebuilding year or like <laughs> these fellas really need to get something going or like th- just that kind of euphemism for we suck right now and all I can do like but it would be too New Jersey for me to be like oh we suck we're terrible so (laughs) I have to be the Midwesterner and be like we've got we've got a ways to go (laughs) or or, I mean and and then they're all professionals but the big one is like and he's not as far along which like if we ever see Ted um coaching Henry at some point or like with his kid, I mean, you guys are, you guys coach kids. Yes. You know how do. you nicely say it's like, so-and-so's on a, so as far along or like the, the, I mean, the entire concept of the most improved. <laughs> yeah. Still developing. Still developing. Yeah. That's a Has great yet one. To hit stride. Yes. They're just, they're just having fun and learning right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> having fun and learning. <laughs> Which there is a little bit of that in Ted, not so much the still learning, but like the kind of like make it lower stakes, make it more fun. Yes. Take some of the pressure off of the wins and losses. So there is some of that in there for sure. There's, yeah. It's like, it's not about, you know, we're not focused on winning right now. We're focused on the fundamentals, which I think is, which I'm so glad they have introduced as attention in this season. Yes. Yes. Um, Because I think that, as someone who played sports in school, like there's nothing more irritating than being on a different competitive page mm. from someone. Yep. Especially when that person is like in charge of your <laughs> wins and losses. Totally. Um, 
so yeah, so those are, those are some great ones. And then the other one that I think is so fun in the Midwest that, that Ted doesn't really get an opportunity to do is the, that kid is special. Yes. Yeah. Which right. like you guys are coaching. It's when, it's when you have a little too much emotional investment in the athletic ability of a child <laughs> where you're like, oh man, I'm kind of excited about going to practice to like watch this. Watch the high school quarterback. Run. Yeah, exactly. Or like my husband has this like very great, but very harrowing rule for himself, which is I'm not going to buy a Jersey with the name of someone younger than me on it. <laughs> and I feel like you're going to age out of buying jerseys pretty quickly. That's All well, that's the thing is like, yeah, he's 31 now. And so, and, and I can't really bring myself. It's like, I'm, I've got my Salvador Perez jersey and like, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I think maybe Travis Kelsey's older than me, but like Mahomes isn't, you know, like it's, and you look at the, I mean, even the Richmond players, like they're in soccer, it's like, they're even younger. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the, like that kid is special being, and in the book it's, there's one at every level. Like I have yes, uh, youth college and professional. That's a really fun device too. It's super clever. Cause, cause it happens all the time. Like, Oh yeah. And that is, that is to me a very Midwestern, like, I don't know how to feel about the rush I get from watching this young person do stuff. Mm-hmm. And, but then, then you're like, I get what the Greeks were like doing. Right. Where they're <laughs> well, like, I- we have it, like what we do for fun <laughs> is we go watch men throw things. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay. Like I get it. <laughs> Well, <laughs> before we like round out this sports fandom bit, there's two things that come to mind as you're talking about that. One is that I'm a tra- I'm from Texas, but I'm a transplant. So yay, Mahomes. But yay, being, Mahomes. Here in, being here in Chiefs Kingdom, like that, like that kid is special mentality is so real. Like people are obsessed yeah. with Patrick Mahomes and, and several other players, too. But like, I feel like it, there was like a Jersey day at our kids elementary school and like. of the children had on Mahomes jerseys specifically, you know? So it's just like, it's pretty wild. The other thing too, just to your point of like, we got to get something going or, oh, it's a rebuilding year. Like that very all shucks Midwestern mentality. My wife's family are all New Jersey, New York, Italian Yankees fans. So it's like the moment something breaks with the Yankees, everyone's like, they're bums. Everyone's a bum. I'm like, so you're paying the most money for a team of bums. I don't get it. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's the thing right not it's to like, say the fans aren't behind the team it's just a different kind of love i think <laughs> it, it's just like the the booze <laughs> I, they boo them yeah and i remember the first time that i thought that kansas city was booing someone and it was when i was a kid i was like why are we why are we booing this person like we don't do that and it was like 2002 or whatever and it was raul Ibanez. And everyone was Raul. going Raul, yeah, and yes. like, and that's what was happening. I was like, oh yeah, we don't, we don't boo people. That's how like, I felt. Uh, yeah, when we had Moose on the Cowboys. Yes, Moose, yes, yes. I yes. was like, oh, are we booing him? Why are we booing our own player? No, yeah, no, we're just yelling his name real loud. But then you have the Yankees who are booing, and then you have guys, stand up guys like John Carlos Stanton, who are like, well, if they boo me, I must deserve it. I must be playing like crap. And that's just how you take it. So that's yeah, that's <laughs> different what, strokes. That's you, do. you do, you do what you got to do. It's clear that you have a lot of affection for where you're from. What was part of your approach to write a book like this 
and then like convey that affection to other people on a broad scale to make it a love letter to your hometown? Yeah, I mean, I think that the when you think about actually writing a love letter, and that's something that I've thought about a lot, is there's so much in the best way, there is so much anxiety about whether or not you are conveying things the way that you want to and whether or not the recipient of it is going to feel what you feel and the stakes feel really high and it feels really vulnerable. But the focus is, am I, am I doing right by the person who is going to read this and receive this? Am I conveying correctly how I feel about them? And so in that way, like in that kind of negative way, there was so much anxiety the whole time. A lot of imposter syndrome, like, do I count anymore? I live, you know, I live in New York. Will they take me back? Um, But I think that the other part of it was as kind of cliched as it sounds, writing something that I would have wanted to see or that I as a Midwesterner would appreciate. And I don't think that means here are the top 10 great things about the Midwest. Here are the top 10 things that everybody says are bad, but are actually good. Here are the top 10 perfect people. Like, you know, the book itself, I hope, is a funny way of saying this is how we behave for better or worse. And I think for the most part, better. Like, this is what we're like. And the idea that that hasn't really been done in a lot of ways for people in this part of the country, I think is is silly and a, and a symptom of a lot of other sort of attitudes toward toward our part of the country. But I think that going into it and saying, okay, I want to tell the truth and I want to tell what I see, but I want to tell it without without a lot of judgment. And there are plenty of ways to talk seriously and with judgment about the way Midwesterners behave and the way that the Midwest is as a culture. But that's like, that's not what this is for. That's not what I was, you know, I wasn't trying, this wasn't commentary. This was conversation. To have fun, to feel like it's true. And to also, I think the way that when you do an impression of your mom, you know, you're saying, oh, like classic dad, this is how he talks or this is how he does things. You're not trying to make your dad sad. Right. Yeah. yeah you're yeah. not trying to, you're, you're telling anybody who's ever interacted with your dad. I know who dad is. And you're telling dad, I see you and I love you. And I watch you closely and with enough affection to be able to give that back mm-hmm. to you. As you were talking about that, I was just kind of wondering, so you've said you've lived in New York city for a decade now or more. And so I'm wondering if there is some sort of uh, you know New Yorker turn of phrase that you had a, a preconceived notion about, but that you learned actually meant something different now that you live there and kind of understand the cultural parlance. Yes. So it's, it's less that I know that I can, that I identify New Yorker phrases and more that I like that I can go between like that. If I want to use my New York voice, (laughs) I can, but if I want to use my Midwestern voice, I can. So for instance, Eric Adams has been doing Nonsense. I don't know if you guys know this, but the mayor of New York has said two consecutive things about Kansas that are yes. like rude. He said something like Kansas. He said Kansas doesn't have a brand is the first thing he said. 
And then the second thing was he said, I wake up in the morning and I'm so grateful to be mayor of New York City because what if I woke up and I was mayor of Topeka? (laughs) And like the Midwestern part of my brain is like, hmm, this man should mind his manners. Whereas the New Yorker, can I, can I curse or no? Yes. Cursing's encouraged on the show. It's just become a bit where we insert, you know, a dog bark for the greyhounds because we're Midwestern nice like that. Okay. Amazing. Here comes the dog bark is so like the Midwestern version is, you know, you know, this man should mind his manners, but I can also say the New York version, which is like, this man needs to go (gasps) fuck himself. Like (laughs) he doesn't, what are you talking about? Kansas doesn't have a brand. Nobody in Kansas hates the mayor of Topeka as much as we hate your fucking guts, you know? And so that's, that's what's nice for me is any part of the New York me that felt maybe a little restrained in the Midwest can come out. But I also know how to say the Midwestern version of this is blank, which was very fun and interesting when writing the book because we have our own dog bark in the book, which is an asterisk, which is our little asterisk. which was a kind of back and forth with me and the editor because it was, it's like, yeah, Midwesterners curse, like I'm a Midwesterner. I curse all the time, but do we, do we want to bring the Midwest to everybody? Even people who feel a little differently about cursing. And in the Midwest we do, you know, some people, it's a really big, it's a really big tent pole thing, which is funny because it's, it's like, people are like, well, you know, he said he didn't, he wished he weren't the mayor of Topeka and you know, but if Eric Adams said like "fuck Boston," I bet Midwesterners would be more mad about that sometimes. <laughs> and I love that we see that sensibility reflected in Ted that he really does not curse. There's really no. only like one or two instances where he says anything explicit. So I think that's a very true to the Midwestern vibe. At least, at least one uh, iteration of that. And it's certainly the way that Midwesterners behave default in public. Like once yes. I'm in a space where it's clear that we can, you know, curse and stuff. I, I curse like a sailor, but <laughs> my default is to assume that everyone, you know, no leads the choir at church and <laughs> does not, you know, would be offended if I said BS instead of hootenanny or whatever. <laughs> Somebody who to me is a hilarious and poignant cursor is John Oliver, whose show you write on. I find that there are segments where you can kind of tell like he's specifically teeing it up and then, you know, he will curse. And I like, maybe it's not as funny for people who are from England. Like, I don't know, but when he does it, I feel like it's intentional and it's smart and it's funny. And I'm not the only person that thinks that because that show has now won Emmy awards. You are an Emmy award winner um, being a writer on that show. How long did it take for you to be able to articulate for others what that experience of winning an Emmy is like? I still haven't figured it out. Um, (laughs) It's such a specific lucky element of the dream of writing for television. And, you know, my, my husband is a writer for the late show with Stephen Colbert. And so we, um, we were both nominated, um, which is bananas. <laughs> and we both felt incredibly lucky in general, but also it meant we got to bring plus ones. So like I, we both got to bring our sisters. So that Aww. like 
that experience was, I think, even more felt even more bananas than the actual winning because mm-hmm. something that that Felipe and I, my husband and I talk about is that like if we had worked on our favorite shows, if we had had a dream scripted career with honestly the Ted Lasso exception, if we had had a dream scripted career for the three years, we would not have been at the Emmys. Like it's a very kind of lucky thing that late night writers, because our your whole staff is nominated when you're nominated. Um, right. And I felt particularly lucky because my, my husband's been at the late show for, for four years and he had been nominated. That, that was his, I, or, that was his third year of nominations. One year he was nominated twice. Um, but because of COVID, Uh-oh, I had never yeah. gone. Mm-hmm. So it was very cool, actually, for me. I felt very, very lucky in the kind of twisted way that actually the first time I ever went to the Emmys was as a nominee, which when you've been married to somebody, which first of all is a crazy thing to say in general. Um but a very, but a thing that like when you're married to a writer at the late show, you, you know, you think, great, I'm going to get the wife ticket at some point. Right. Like I'll probably go some point. Yeah. Um, which was, which was very crazy. I will say that, and this is nonsense, but it's true. I was a little bit relieved because they had won six years in a row until I started. <laughs> Yikes. And so there was a part of me that's like, it's going to be my fault. <laughs> if lose. Which is not true. But I will say like, I, there was a part of me that was like, oh, thank God. Which is bananas. It's crazy. It's a testament to the work that the show does and has done before me. But it was, there was an element of like, oh my gosh. Also, they're going to start looking for the weakest link. They're going to start looking for the weakest link. They're going to say something went wrong. They what voted we against do? Get us. No more Emmys. No more. She was the one. She turned off the tap. Um, also, I fell twice in the lobby because I couldn't oh. walk in my shoes. And so I did the whole rest of the night barefoot, but nobody could see because my dress was long enough, um, which was very funny. And I was... If I do think that this is so bananas, but I like I do think if we hadn't won, that would have been one of the more mortifying nights of my entire life. Mm. Um, but luckily we did. And so the fact that I spilled a cheap margarita over some all over some stranger's tux while falling to the ground in the most expensive dress I have ever worn until my wedding was actually not the thing that I carry with me from that <laughs> evening. Um Although I am remembering it now and it still does make me go like, (laughs) but yes, it was, it was amazing. It was the first time I saw a lot of my coworkers because we're kind of scattered and we're all remote. So that was very cool. I was with my sister, which was amazing. It's like, I mean, it's amazing. It's, it was truly a dream come true that you don't even have because the, the dream is to write jokes for television. That's always the dream. I, you know, and that's always been the dream and it is always the really exciting thing. It's like, this is my job and I get paid to do this. But one day a year, I pay someone to do my hair and makeup and go and sit in a nice room and drink free alcohol. And uh, this time they gave me a trophy, which was very, very cool. <laughs> you had a lot on your mind that day. Up for award, husband's up for award, you're trying to walk and stuff. But for the purposes of this show, 
Can we reverse engineer a situation where you are like our reporter on the ground as Ted Lasso is winning a bunch of awards? Do you remember like thinking, oh, I like that show or finding any of their speeches funny or just being like happy that a show that you liked was actually winning awards? Yeah. So here's actually the funny thing is that writing for a variety series switches off years. And this year it was in the Creative Arts Emmys. So the ceremony that I went to and like tripped at and fell and won the Emmy was actually a week before okay. the oh, other okay. Emmys. So, so then very kindly, um, uh, last week tonight, get, got us all tickets. So we got to go to the Emmys, um, but we were kind of up as guests. So it was me and my sister. And so it was honestly even more fun because you're not, you know, you're not nervous. You're not thinking about your category. You just get to watch and it was, I mean, and you do, you are kind of looking and you're like, that's Brett Goldstein. I can see his beard from like literally all the way up here. Um, <laughs> I mean, Jason Sudeik is always, I mean, Hannah Waddingham is always just like the most glorious, gorgeous, yep. perfect person. Um, yeah. So like having them all walk in was amazing. And I, I will say that I was very, very excited when Cheryl Lee Ralph one for Mm, Abbott Elementary. And so that was a huge moment because she sang and it was this incredible incredible speech. Oh my gosh. gosh. It was amazing. She was genuinely surprised. I think we all kind of were like, nobody really knew. So that was amazing. And then, you know, Jason Sudeikis appeared genuinely surprised, which I think is, I mean, fair when you look at everyone else that was in that category. It did feel like a toss up in a way that I think... The year before it, it didn't. And again, I don't, I don't know. I don't vote for it. I, first of all, I can't, I don't vote for that. I only vote for writing and I didn't vote last year because I wasn't able to, like I wasn't right. like grandfathered in, but that was really cool. I think, you know, even just seeing clips and remembering and seeing how the, the, so much of the cast brought other cast members yeah. as mm-hmm. their, as their guests or like producers um, so a lot more of the cast was there than was, um, than was nominated, which mm-hmm. I thought was really cool. I think, uh, it was just, I, I remember exactly where they were. It's like, they were down where I was sitting. They were down to the right in the corner. Um, and I was, it was just one of those, it was like, oh good. There's still so much love for this show. Brett Goldstein won again. And he did that hysterical like he was like, they cut off the thing. And so they didn't get to hear me. And then he, you know, he cursed again. It was just, it's just, it's wild. It's wild to be in that room, knowing that other people are watching what you're watching on television, but like hearing in the room, how people felt about what was going on, which was clearly this like show of love for Brett Goldstein, this like, you know, huge respect for, for Jason Sudeikis. And yeah, just really just, I mean, it's just a, it's just a cool night. I mean, it was a big night for Abbott too. Like all mm-hmm. the, all yeah. the comedies that are, you know, making, making television these two years after the pandemic and all the different things that that is all the different comedies. I thought, you know, Ted Lasso, you have this heart, this kind of Shit's Creek descendant that goes into this kindness and this humor, but also sports. And then you've Barry and only murders and Abbott and, all these shows that are so different, but under this umbrella, it was very, very 
It was very, very cool. I mean, you know, I'm a comedy writer, so I'm just like, this is so cool. (laughs) It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. A soccer question for you. The. NWSL team in your hometown is the Kansas City Current. And just like, how cool is it that that team is building the first ever soccer stadium specific for use by a women's professional team? It's it's just awesome. Like, I... the The attitude toward women's sports and the way that it has changed even... The, the day that we're recording this, or maybe you don't want to say it, but like the national championship was yesterday, the NCAA national championship. People are talking about it might, the women's the, national championship, the women's tournament. Yeah, 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 the women's tournament. People are talking about that. It's going to be, you know, it's one of the most watched women's sports events ever. We've got like real stars, you know, the idea that Kansas city is like, yes, we're investing in this as something that people are going to continue to care about something that's going to continue to be good, something that's only going to get better. It's just, it feels awesome. It feels awesome to be starting something and being a birthplace of something that I believe is so not only important, but also very real. Like I, I can, I know all the names of the, the national women's team and I don't really like, I know the men's now because of, because of the world cup, but I didn't before. And the idea that that's going to feel that Kansas City is going to have its name on the that list on that timeline when we go to the you know in fifty years when people are like wait people didn't treat women's and men's sports the same back in the mm. day grandma what do you mean <laughs> and I'm going to be like you know olive oil my child you know I, my my made up kid is naming my made up grandkid something weird and I don't know but it just happened. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm I'm really really stoked and they they're putting so much thought into it. Like Casey, baby, all the are the all the marketing materials, all the story. Like I love the drama that they're that they're putting into it. I like that they're good. I like that they care about being in Kansas City. Like it's just cool. It makes me want to you know, I again I performatively did not like or care about soccer. I did not like the girls who played soccer. They got to leave church early. <laughs> and I didn't think that that was fair. Um, and, and now it's just like, I'm, I'm all in. Who are they? Who's, whose name can I get on my Jersey? Who's over 30? None of them. Um, but, <laughs> you know, so no, I'm stoked. Well, and I think like that, to your point, it's, the increased access that we have, like it's, it's able to be a fan and make that like your first fandom. Like, whereas even with like early leagues, like the first iteration of NWSL, what was it called? Uh, WPSL. Yeah. 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 WP. Like there was just never quite that red carpet treatment where like you felt like you had enough access to fully care. And now it's like, yes, like with the, in the WNBA, with the NWSL, like there's actually enough 
accessibility that it's like, yes, I can watch like almost all the games, you know, like I can actually be a fan of this and be invested and not just be like, oh, cool. I was able to catch like the two games that were on ESPN when nothing else was on, you know, so like that is that in itself is huge and has again helped expose us to these personalities uh, of these women who are like incredible, incredible athletes. And so, you know, it just it it's a snowball effect because you have all that access and you're able to see everything that's happening. And it's just, it's really fun. And I, I've really admired the way the league in general has made that push to really like say, this is important. And not just because like, because of, you know, social reasons or cultural reasons, but because people care and because it's really high quality. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, it's, it's so the way that we treat things that women care about in our, society is so fascinating the way that we treat Mm -hmm. like the way that women behave and the fact that you know so unapologetically it's like the these these are women and they're playing a sport and they're like we're we're treating them like like they're athletes and competing at a high level and they want to win and it's like it's the same and also the fact that this appeals to young girls young girls feel at home here, young girls are in audience, like even just treating that like a valid and worthy and, and covetable audience, I think is a huge shift from, from where we were 10 years ago, which is what I think is so, so cool. It's like, oh yeah, we want like every girl in Kansas city and the boys will come too. You know, they will. Cause, cause, you know. There was a great shot in the match against the Thorns, which unfortunately they got thrashed in. But like, there was a great shot of like four or five, you sort of like, upper elementary or middle school age boys like holding signs and like losing their minds. And I was like, I love that. I love this. (laughs) You know, they don't, it's because they're good. You know, like it's fun to watch good people do a thing. It's, it's literally exactly what we were talking about, except for, you know, the Greeks only had the boys come out, but like, you know, you're, you're watching people do cool stuff with their bodies. Like, I know it was against us, but did you see Sophia Smith just like oh not stop? She just didn't stop. And then the ball was in the net. Like it's, you know, it's the way that people must feel when they're playing against the Chiefs where it's just yeah. like, I mean, yeah, I don't like that we were playing against Patrick Mahomes, but I mean, we all got to see Patrick Mahomes play football. That's how I feel watching Sophia Smith. It's like, well, I wish she's that a, she were she's wearing. She's a cheat code, man. That's. Yeah, that- that idea is actually played out in a progression of texts that Brett sent me this <laughs> weekend because I'm a Thorns fan. Christian's so, from Portland. Oh, yeah. okay, okay, okay. Yeah, when um, Kansas City like brought one back and it looked like it could be close, he was something like, we got a game now. And I sent him a Sophia Smith <laughs> gif of her yeah. like, I don't know, telling him to shush or shrugging or something. and oh. Just like torching someone. Yeah, a few minutes later, he was just like, ah, oh, I forgot about her. Yeah, he can't. Yeah, that's, she's so good. I mean, I, cause I, I, I did so watch rude, the championship and yeah, last year and it was, it was just like, you know, well, this is, well, this is the show that we're watching, I guess. I guess we're not watching a game. I guess we're watching a show. Um, yeah. Which, you know what? More power to her. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Things that are quintessentially Kansas City include barbecue. And it's something that we like to talk about a lot on our podcast. Do you have an item or two from any of the spots in Kansas City that you consider at the top of your barbecue pantheon? So, yes. So I love, I am a Jack Stack girl, but 
Everybody a, likes cloth napkins every once in a while. Right. But I'm also, well, so here's the thing about Jack Stack is there's Jack Stack in Martin City, which is close to where yeah, my yeah. folks ha- house is. And okay. I hadn't eaten inside a Jack Stack, I think until I was like 23 years old because we would order it and then we would go and you wait in like the little wooden area and then you pick it up and we take it home. And that was like, usually what I would eat right before I went back to college, I'd be like, let's have barbecue night because I do like their, you know, their meats are fine. The other, cause the other thing is like the secret is I like Brian's meats better, but mm. Brian's is number one, far from my house. And number two, the cheesy corn and the beans and the giant containers of pickles at Jack Stack is where the sweet bar, sweet spot is. Now my husband is uh is now a six year Kansas Cityan as a as far as a palate is concerned. And he loves <laughs> Joe's Burnens, but he is a Brian's boy all the way. Um mm. and the vinegary sauce is his deal and the the pulled pork. And when he first visited Kansas City, our flight got delayed and we got stuck places. So we got there two days later later than we were supposed to. And so we only had two days. So he had four Aww. four barbecue restaurants in two days my dude and brian's was the last one and he took one bite of brian's and he just said this is what i like (laughs) 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 so we are it really is it really is in all of them and then you know for a long time gates was what you could get at kaufman and now that's different um but for the my gates experience was a lot of kaufman and then a lot of event other events that i would go to that had a barbecue would have gates yeah, so yeah. it travels. Those well. burn-ins at Joe's are uh, are pretty amazing, I will yeah. say. We'll so did I skirt your question enough by naming no, all four of no, them we're and big. an like, item from all of them? I'm super into barbecue diplomacy, and I have like, a favorite <laughs> thing at six different places. So yeah, I'm I don't I don't make people give us. We these. want to spread the love. Yeah, yes. yeah, we're all about spreading the love. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's pl- so yeah, it's pulled pork at Bryant's, burnt ends at. Joe's beans and corn at Jack Stack, and then just like Gates is you get into a mood for it. Like I don't know how else to describe it. You just I mean, are like it's Gates time. You've covered all the bases on the Joe Arthur Gates Stack shirt, so you're you're living right. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, your husband is a talented writer. You mentioned that he was Emmy nominated as well. Can you tell us about the game show that the two of you created called? citizenship live yeah so my husband is an immigrant from colombia from bogota in south america and he he has a green card now because we are married um but he moved here when he was 22 and obviously we've now we've done a lot of the immigration system altogether, and we did a lot of comedy together a lot of stand-up and one of our dear friends her name is orly matlow she's canadian one time, the three of us were in the green room getting ready for a stand-up show, and Orly and Felipe were both talking about the current, the at the time, Secretary of Commerce, Wilbur Ross. And I was like, who is that? <laughs> and they were both like, he's your Secretary of Commerce. <laughs> Dog bark. Um, and, um, and I was like, oh... Okay. Also, I could not name a single member. Like I could name the president of Colombia and the prime minister of Canada only because I'm married to a Colombian and the prime minister of Canada is hot. And 
And so from there, we developed this game show called Citizenship Live, where we have natural born, like folks who were born here, natural born citizens and immigrants. Now they might be citizens now, but they weren't born here. They didn't necessarily grow up here. And the premise is, is we ask kind of normal baseline trivia level questions about the U.S. and then kind of the most basic questions about the country's origin of our immigrant guests, but they end up being comparably difficult for everyone involved, which is very funny. One of my favorites was actually name six of the 12 states in the Midwest. So that was a question that we offered from the state. So it was like name six of the 12 states in the Midwest. And then the next question was a map of Canada with one spot shaded in red. And the question was, is this Nova Scotia? (laughs) And more people got the Nova Scotia one wrong than (laughs) the naming six of the 12 Midwestern states. So we have such a blast. We actually just wrote our, our, um, our next show yesterday with our producer. And that has questions about the UK and Kenya. And it's, I mean, it's a blast in general. Like the audience has a lot of fun and, and our, we, you know, we have comedians and they walk us through their answers and stuff, but we also have a blast learning about all of the countries and figuring out, you know, kind of what's a, what's a basic level. Like we had a fight one time, like not a fight, but like we had a fight one time where I was like, is the capital of Australia easy? Like, do people know that? Is that too easy of a question? Um, and then Felipe was like, no, I think what currency they use in Australia is harder. Uh, and I was like, I don't think so. And so we, we asked both of them to the audience. We were like, which of these is harder? And I was right. It was, uh, Canberra is harder than Australian dollars, but both of them were pretty hard. So yeah, so that's, I mean, we have a, it's one of our kind of live show things that we do together and it's a blast. We do it once a month at a theater called Caveat. If anybody's ever in New York city, it's very, it's super, super fun. Okay, so I think uh, what I want to do asking this final question is we've talked a lot about Kansas City and our love for Kansas City and how that ties into Ted Lasso. And there's been multiple things that have been mentioned that are clearly a love letter to Kansas City on the show. But what's one of your favorite, quote unquote, deep cut things about Kansas City, either culturally or like a specific item that you hope will make it into Ted Lasso season three? This is a great question. And I feel... These are two real pie in the sky hopes, but it would, it would change my life. So one is maybe a little bit easier, but it is kind of like you'd have to get it all the way through the writer's room, which is something that I think is very funny and very difficult to explain to people who are not from Kansas City is how purely in the middle of nowhere Arrowhead and Kaufman are. <laughs> yes, which is where the Kansas City Chiefs and the Kansas City Royals play at yes. the Truman Sports Complex. The Truman yes. Sports Complex. And folks, listeners, I whatever middle of nowhere means to you, I promise it's not vacant enough. And it is a giant parking lot where like you can maybe see, I think, a Radisson Hotel across yes. two interstates. From behind home plate at Kaufman sta- uh, Stadium, which is the Royal, where the Royals play. And I, this is particularly of interest to me because my sister-in-law is going to Taylor Swift at Arrowhead um, soon. Jealous. And I, I have no idea how I am going to transport and then retrieve her from the madness that will be the parking lot. 
But <laughs> so that is like, I think that that might be fun if, you know, Richmond goes to play a soccer game at Arrowhead and that just like a little joke, they don't even have to say it, just a little joke about how it's in the middle of nowhere and it's just a parking lot and people get there at 7.30 a.m. because it's the best place to tailgate in the whole world. Here's the other thing. Ted Lasso is about 40, 45 years old. That means, and it's 2022. (laughs) That means he would have been in his early 20s when the Kansas City Royals had a partnership with Krispy Kreme. Donuts. Where, yeah, where every 12 hits, you got a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. So he would have been at the peak age to be going to Royals games, buying the $5 high V seats and waiting to cash in on the Royals getting 12 tickets, which also presumably, I don't know if this is true or not, but you probably could have, because they were so bad, bought more (laughs) tickets once you realized they were on the 12. Or just pick them up. Or just pick them up off the ground. (laughs) <laughs> so for for those of you, I, I don't know if I explained this. So, so listeners f- from, I believe 2004 to 2007, the Royals had a deal with Krispy Kreme donuts where if the Royals got 12 hits in a home game, every ticket was good for a dozen donuts, not a donut, one dozen donuts. So, and we, I think we in 2004, I think, no, in 2003, we lost 100 games. In 2004, <laughs> it seemed like we were going to maybe be good, and then we swiftly were not. But so people would line up, they would go straight from the game to Krispy Kreme sometimes, you guys. <laughs> it was such a touch point of Kansas City summer culture in the early 2000s <laughs> that Ted must have had something to do with it. And I, if that made it in, I know they've already taped them um, (laughs) and I know they've already recorded them. And I think if I'm correct, they, they must already be done because you have to have all of the episodes to the Emmys by like May, whatever. So, (laughs) but I think there's time to fly back to London and just do a quick, just a quick shot of, Ted drinking a whiskey in front of the computer and just maybe he just talks to himself. He can tell this therapist about it. You know, maybe he's just on the phone with Sam. You didn't know. You don't even have to go to London to film that. You can put Jason in front of a green screen and just be like, Henry, let me tell you. Let me tell you about 2004 when Tony Pena, when, when, when Mike Sweeney was on first and you know, every, every once in a while, Michael Tucker would be really good at baseball. <laughs> and <laughs> as a 43 year old who <laughs> took our son to his first Royals game when he was 18 days old, he got a certificate <gasps> at the stadium too. I can attest to the glorious nature of the Krispy Kreme giveaway. And my favorite part of the story, a brief addendum, is that. The season after the Krispy Kreme promotion. Yes, this is the best one. This is the best. <laughs> Panera Bread decided they would do it. And so uh, I went to that game. I, went, I must have been to like opening day or something. Or the first time that the Royals got 12 hits. And 
the Panera Bread partnership ended after one game. And Panera Bread, like, they saw the demand and they're like, no, we're not about that life. We're out. Tapping out. Done. It's so, it was so They ended the partnership? Immediately. 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 (laughs) Because... Because the donuts, it's like you you pipe them and you ice them and you send them out the door. The bagels are bagels. Like, that's a whole <laughs> different thing. Like, I watch Great British Baking Show. Like, oh, and they just, they canceled it right away. Oh, yep. it was so funny. I did get, I got my one dozen because I did go down to the Crown Center location and I got my dozen. But then after that, it was, was it, it was so a can, dozen bagels? <laughs> I'm telling you, it was a horrible, wild. Was a horrible idea. And they <laughs> aren't Panera bagels like yeah. four fifty each. Like that seems insane. <laughs> that yeah, that's the other thing. The markup. I didn't even think about that. That's so. Was it was it packed? I so I don't remember that part. Okay, I just remember the rest of it. it I'm so which, glad to have learned about this bit of Kansas City sports lore. Oh, you know, it was it was the greatest. It was so amazing. Everybody's like, oh, Buck Night. It's like, no, do y'all remember the donuts? <laughs> oh, man. It was, we would say, because I was a kid, I was 10. And we would, when we were losing, we would be losing by a lot, but we'd be going to the parking lot because like it'd be time that my sister was eight, you know, and you'd just hear the crowd erupt. And, but we would have been down by eight. Like this wasn't the 2014 Royals where like no. we s- score nine points in the bottom of it. You just hear the crowd erupt and it's like, oh yeah, great. We got 12 hits. We go going to go Krispy Kreme tomorrow. Like <laughs> we go in donuts. Yeah. There's well, Pete, Pete Grathoff did an article about it. And I think he ha- I think he has it in there somewhere. The amount of games where we got 12 hits, but lost is like an un, we did it 27 times. We got 12 hits that year, which is a lot bananas. of bananas. Anyway, I would love to see that in Ted Lasso. It's clearly really important to me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope it's as important to Ted. That's yes, true. yes. That's Taylor, we thank you so much for your, you've been super generous with your time today. We thank you for writing this book. Everybody should go buy it because it is hilarious. And we wish you all the best in your writing and your comedy and in life in general, because you have a lot of great things going on. Oh, thank you guys. This was so much fun. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of y'all and, and the pod. And it was a joy to be on. <laughs> Thank you so much. Take care, Taylor. Thank you. Have a good one, you guys. And that's our show. We had a blast chatting with Taylor K. Phillips. You can find links to her work, her book, her social media accounts, and everything else we mentioned in the show notes on our website at tedlassopod.com. We'll be back soon with more Ted Lasso goodness, but you can keep the conversation going with us on Twitter and Instagram in the meantime. Our handle on both is at tedlassopod. This episode of Richmond Till We Die is brought to you by Gin and Kerosene Productions. It was produced by me, Brett, and my co-host, Christian. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take 30 seconds to subscribe to our feed and give the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify. Heck, if you're feeling generous, you could even do both. As always, we appreciate all the ways y'all share your love and support for the pod. I'm Brett, signing off for Christian and Taylor. Thanks for listening. Until next time, cheers, y'all. I core.